0: Thank you to all of you who have, who have supported us and how generous you have been. Um, it's been really amazing to see, and I get people who ask me, how's the church going? How's the church going? And there are several different ways that, or there are several different answers that people are looking for. Sometimes people are looking for the number of people that we have come to the church. Sometimes they're looking for um, the effect that we've had in the community. Sometimes they're looking for the amount of money coming in. Sometimes they're looking for this, and sometimes they're, they're looking for that. I'll tell you how I'm trying to measure the successfulness of the church. And that is, how many people see the love of Christ on a daily basis through what he's doing here? How many people feel Jesus and not just hear about Jesus? How many people are ravaged by him? How many people are eternally changed by Jesus Christ and the truth that is in the word of God? And so what I tell people is, it's been amazing to see what he's done at the well. And numbers-wise, yes. Um, giving, you guys give in a tremendous way and I say thank you, thank you, thank you Um, but the way that the spirit has moved has been amazing to me that's been the most amazing part and as I sit here and I listen to the the band uh, facilitate that worship and to lead us to the throne room of God that's what I long for, that's what I crave is to see Jesus Christ move and to feel the presence of the spirit that he might come in and overwhelm us in such a way that we're forever changed you see I could get up here and I could tell you that you need to do these things But if I just change the outward behavior without allowing and ushering you into a place where Jesus can change the heart, then it's all for nothing and it's in vain. And so we preach the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, so that you might be changed from the inside out. And that being said, your behavior will change, but it will come from rebirth, regeneration, a new heart, that out of that new heart come new desires. Therefore, I don't have to beat you into submission with rules and regulations, but I can preach Jesus and he comes in and grows you like that tree. And so I want to say thank you, because that's what we're after. The event's just an event. It's just to say we love you, and we're willing to spend time on you. We're willing to spend money on you. We're willing to spend uh, late hours cleaning up on you. We're willing to get dirty. We're willing to freeze our hands off, as Robert can testify to, making 600 ices. We love you. So thank you for sharing in that and telling Landrum that you love them. All right, let's get into the text, and uh, we're going to be in... John chapter 19 today, and like I said, this will be a, it'll be a heavy sermon. Um, it'll be graphic, but I think that God will bless you in this as we look and see. Some of this you will have heard before. Some of it you maybe will not have heard before. Uh, some of it was eye-opening to me, and um, it's a little bit different than I had heard it preached before. But God has done an amazing work in my heart and in helping me to see some things that I've never seen before, and I just want to share that with you. We don't have a whole lot of time today, and so hopefully I'll get to touch on some of these later on. Um, but if you're ready to get into the Word of God, say amen. amen. All right, well let's do it. First, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you hear me refer to Him as the Ghost today, there's a reason for it. Okay, Lord Jesus, I pray that You would send the Ghost, God, that You would help Him to bob and weave in and out of in and out of our our hearts and our presence. That He would Whisper your sweet, sweet nothings into our ear. God, that we would see you, that, that he would turn our hearts toward you, that he would soften these walls that we've built to keep you and him out. God, that we would, we would feel his presence and hear the call of the Father drawing us ever so greatly to the Son. God, I pray that you would open our hearts' eyes today, that we might see the sacrifice that you have made, that we might see our sin we'll see what you did with our sin. God, help us to understand salvation. Help us to understand you. Help us to think on these things so that our heart might change, come and invade our hearts, our minds, and our strength, that we might trust and lean on you in all our ways, that you might make our paths straight. God, help us not to trust in our own legalistic attempts at righteousness, but to bow before you and to be changed forevermore into saints. Saints that look like you, Jesus. Oh, how I love you. Because you first loved me. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We bring the lights down just a little. I've just got a couple of questions as we, as we move into this sermon. What I want you to think about today as we talk about the death of Jesus Christ, I want everyone in the room Believers, non-believers, baby Christians, adult Christians, I want you to think about something. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Lots of people in the history of the world have done good things. Why Jesus? And when you talk to other people about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when you talk to them about this man that came down out of heaven, when you talk about the historical Figure the greatest man that had the greatest impact in the history of the world. Why Jesus? Why not Muhammad? Why not Buddha? Why Jesus? And I want to. I want you to ask yourself: Can you answer that question? What sets your Jesus apart from every other religious leader in all the world and all of history? Why Jesus? Why him? Why this one man? In all of time, why this one man? Why Jesus? And the second is, is that even when you say Jesus, you say that he saves, but how did he do that? How does he save? And these are legitimate questions. When you talk to somebody about Jesus and you say, you're a sinner, you need to be saved by Jesus, it is a legitimate question. It is a good question for them to look at you and say, why? Why Jesus? Can you answer that question? Could you intelligently and biblically answer why Jesus? And at the well, we wholeheartedly and unapologetically stand firm on the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to wholeness. He is the only way to understand reality. He is the only way that your life might be spared from eternal separation from God Almighty and what is good and what is right and what is holy. But why? Why? Which leads us to our scripture. John chapter 19, we're starting in verse 28, and we will go two verses Well, three, 28, 29, and 30. And today, if you take notes, if you don't take notes, you need to take notes if you can, because I want you to have an answer for what you believe. I want you to understand why Jesus, because when you start to understand what Jesus did for you in a real way, you will start to be changed in amazing ways when you see what this man Jesus has done for you. Let's read the scripture. John 19, 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst, a thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost he gave up his spirit that's where i pulled the ghost from put that last scripture back up there verse 30 i want to show you something right here Um, here it says and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit this is a little lapse in translation. And I don't care what translation you use, there's problems with every translation because they're not the original language. And they're trying to translate from the originals, which was Hebrew, Greek, and a little Aramaic, and there's, you just lose some in translation. But actually this should say, in the original, it should say, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, or the spirit. This is not possessive right here. It's not meaning his spirit. It, it could be taken that way, but it actually says the spirit that will be very important in just a minute let me show you that in just a minute i want to show you two things today so we asked the question why jesus why jesus and so the answer to why jesus can offer salvation when no one else can is twofold why this jesus how this one man in all of history this one man why him how is he set apart from every other figure in all of humanity, in all of history? Why this Jesus? Grab hold of this Jesus. This is where we're going. The answer is twofold. Number one, he died the death that you should have died. He died the death that you should have died. You take in notes. You say, Well, I've heard that before. That's not very, that's not very eye-opening. Let me go a little deeper into this. Number one, he died the death you should have died. You see, in the text it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. You see, Jesus Christ is on the cross He's on the cross. He's been beaten, battered, and bloody. And at this moment, knowing that all that was called on by the Father for him to do had reached its end, his life was drawing to an end on on this planet, on earth. And Jesus, seeing that it was all finished, in order to fulfill it, in order to do it, in order to do what God had called him to do, said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty he had been beaten I can imagine his lips they were cracked and you ever had chapped lips I hate chapped lips but Jesus had been been without food without water without anything and he had been beaten he had lost massive amounts of blood and he was hanging on the cross tirelessly for hours and hours and hours with nothing to drink he says I'm thirsty I'm thirsty and you've got to remember as we look back to last week as we look back to the week before when we talked about fathers and sons and mothers and sons and daughters, and we, we remember that it was, it was God that put him on the cross for you. It was God that had led him to this place. It was God that said, a little further, son, a little further, son. And unlike Abraham and Isaac, when Isaac said, Daddy, I see the fire, I see the knife, I see the wood, I don't see the lamb. And Abraham's shaking. I can imagine saying, God will... God will provide, son. And God did provide by leading his son up the mountain, carrying the wood, carrying the fire that would come down from heaven to consume him. Yet when God raised the knife like Abraham, he never stopped. And so think about this. When Jesus is hanging on the cross and he cries out, I'm thirsty. God the Father had to be sent. I want to give him a drink. That's my boy. I want to give him a drink. Jesus was doing this to fulfill the scriptures. I want to look at three aspects of the death of Christ on the cross and him going there. We'll try to move quickly through these, but it's important to know that it wasn't the physical agony that he was in that was the worst part of the suffering of Christ. Let me try to paint this picture. Three aspects to his death. The first is mutilation. Mutilation. Isaiah 52, if you don't know the scriptures really well, write this down. Go and and read Isaiah 52 at the end of the chapter through Isaiah 53, and you will see what God did in sending his son Jesus. Isaiah 52 14 says that he was marred beyond human semblance. He was marred beyond human recognition. You see, this is what we typically hear of is that Jesus Christ was beaten. You see in those days the the act of crucifixion what had been perfected, many believe that it was started during the era of the Persians and it had been it had been really perfected by the Roman professional executioners and this was reserved. This was not just something that happened to just anybody. This was reserved. Most times for the vilest of criminals, the vilest of the vile, because crucifixion wasn't just taking someone's life from them, it was taking everything from them. It was taking their dignity, it was taking any hint of self-worth, it was taking everything. and you've got to remember in this day, in this time that the Jewish culture, it was shame- based, it was not guilt based. See in America we're guilt- based, you're guilty, you need to change. Still. Still in the Middle East, it's shame-based. You honor your family. If you dishonor your family, you do what you need to do to get your family's name right. You save face. And so the same was true for this day. So the biggest thing on the cross for an average man was the shame that the cross bore. You see, in those days, the cross was used as a deterrent for anyone who would see to hurting Rome. And so they would take this criminal and they would put him up in a public place. It wouldn't be any different today than if you were to go to a mall and when you went to the mall, you would see three men hanging outside the mall on crosses bleeding to death. It was public spectacles. He was making, the the government was making an example out of these people so that anybody who tried to do this, this is what happens to you. There was mutilation of the flesh. Isaiah 52, 14 says that he was marred beyond human recognition. For your sins was he beaten and battered. The Bible says that that Pilate, Jesus went before Pilate, and Pilate was trying to figure out this case against Jesus, and he kept coming back to the Jewish people, and he says, I find nothing wrong, I find nothing wrong. He's not done anything wrong. I don't want to kill this man. Let me give you, let me turn him loose. There's a Jewish tradition that that one can go free. Let Let me let him go free. And the people yell, crucify him, crucify him, kill him on the cross. And just days earlier, many of the same crowd was surely the ones that were laying the palm leaves as he was in the triumphant entry. And so Pilate, not wanting to do this, he took Jesus and he laid him over this, this, it would have been a stone or a stump or something where he couldn't move. And in order to appease the people and try to get away from the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he took him and he had him flogged. He had him scourged, purged, beat him within an inch of his life. Beat him within an inch of his life with a thing called a cat tails. And as they beat Jesus and beat Jesus, his flesh would have been ripped from his body. The nine tails in history have been described as, as a, an instrument that was used to tenderize the flesh. And once you got to a certain point, it would sink in and they would rip the skin off of the back of the man. And it just so happens that I found a historically accurate replication of this. So I want to show you. As we think about Jesus Christ and the torture that he went through, this is called a flagrum. This is called a catanine tails. And this instrument right here, if we had time, I'd come out and let you feel it. This instrument right here has metal and glass, bone, sharp bone, sunk into weighted iron, weighted iron metal here so that the metal would tenderize the flesh with each stripe and once the flesh was tenderized like you would tenderize a steak, they would hit and sink it into the man so that it would stick and rip the flesh off of him as you remember that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay my life down, and I take it up again. You could not be doing this unless it was granted to you. At any moment, Jesus could have called legions of angels to his side, but he took the shot for you. And he kept it. He kept on. kept on he would not stop it was all for you and his blood spilled out and it ripped his flesh don't you know he could have he could have stopped it And with every shot, and Jesus was a man. And so you can only imagine that Jesus, every shot, everybody thinks that, you know, since Jesus was God, that he didn't hurt, that he didn't go through pain. But he was a man. He was a man like you, and he was a man like me. So with every shot, ah! Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God. And with every shot, with every thorn that was drove into his head, with every one, he could have stopped it. You see, crucifixion was the most horrible, horrible act that you could possibly think of. You see, during battles, what they would do is, is that the offender, they would take, and anybody that they capture, and in one battle in particular, they line the streets going into Rome with Over a thousand crucified bodies so that for miles and miles you would pass body after body after body after body, body, mutilated and killed on the cross to make sure that you knew you do not mess with Rome. Crucifixion was so horrible that sometimes they hated to, they didn't usually crucify women. But when they crucified women, and usually crucifixion happened and you were naked, so they would crucify women. And it was so horrible, the look of agony on the women's faces. Remember the word excruciating came from the cross. Excruciating actually means from the cross. It was so much agony on the women's faces that they couldn't bear it because it was women. So they would crucify women facing the cross. And they would turn them around facing the cross and they would nail them facing the cross. People would try to kill themselves, and we talked about this a little while back. It was so gruesome. You see, Jesus Christ lasted six hours on the cross, but he had lost so much blood. A lot of the times, a man could hang on the cross for as long as nine days if he hadn't been beaten previously. For nine days, and these were public spectacles that people would come out, and they would watch, and they would jeer. The vilest of the vile, can you imagine what type of person it would be to come out and point fingers and laugh and snarl? So many times the people would try to kill themselves. And for the men, they would take and they would nail the man's penis to the cross so that he could not kill himself, so that he could not lower himself down because that was asphyxiation and he would die. As a matter of fact, at the end of the crucifixion, it says that the the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the other two men, and that was so that the legs couldn't support them anymore. The legs would be broken, they would slump, and their lungs would collapse, and they would be asphyxiated. they would suffocate to death on the cross. When they would do these public spectacles with these... With these crucifixions, they would nail the men up, they would nail the women up, and they were so publicly mocked, there was no defense for the man, for the woman. you got to understand, nine days on the cross, there was piles of feces at the bottom of the cross. Is that disgusting? Piles of urine and sweat and Blood. At the bottom of the cross, many times there was nothing that the people could do to get back at these people who were jeering them. And many times in an act of desperation, they would try to urinate on the crowd or spit on the crowd. There's nothing that they could do. There's a reason I tell you that. It's disgusting. This is your sin. Mutilation. Beyond human recognition. This is the truth of crucifixion. The second is humiliation. We've touched on, on some of it. I want to focus on one text and here. I want to move on because this is, this is the newest thing that, that, I've, that I've, I've found in my pursuit of understanding the crucifixion of Christ. You say, why would you want to think about things like that? Why would you want to think about things like that? Because this is what Jesus did for you. He was beaten and his flesh ripped off. And as Jeremy said earlier, if you were the only person in the history of the world, he would have went to the cross and he would have done it for you. And there's a big theological term. It's called penal substitutionary atonement. Go look that up when you get home. But what this means is is that it was your sin that was laid on his back. And the reason that he was struck is that Wesley's sin Crushed on the back of Jesus. Brennan's sin, bam, crushed on the back of Jesus. And it was Jamie's sin that was nailed to the cross. Jesus had no sin. There was no reason for him to be on that cross. Not one. Why was he getting killed? Why was he getting beaten? It wasn't for his sin. It was for yours and mine. Oh, my God, you got hit for me. Let me show you this, this was absolutely After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished said To fulfill the scriptures I thirst A jar full of sour wine stood there So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch And held it to his mouth When Jesus had received the sour wine he said it's finished You know, me, like probably most and many of you, when I read that, I thought, one act of human decency in all of this. Jesus was thirsty. And so, seeing Jesus in this agony, they finally had a little compassion, and they put some wine on a sponge, and they lifted it up to his mouth so that he could have a drink. Until I heard the truth. And... A guy that is a great teacher, I listen to him often, uh, Mark Driscoll, he was doing, he's a research fanatic. He was doing this research, and he was researching, and I heard him talking about this, and I seen it. And he said he was in, he was actually in Jerusalem, and as he was walking through the holy city, he was at the place where the crucifixions would have been done and where um, things like this naturally happened. And he said he looked over and he saw this um, archaeological, um, placed that had, it was like an, uh, a place that, that had several jars sit around and, and he was asking the guy what, what is this, it was a historical tour and the guy said this is wine vinegar it's a wine vinegar, well this is actually in those days was a public outhouse see back in those days they didn't have toilet paper like you and I and so they had all these soldiers in battle Doing their business out into the field and it was creating a very huge problem because there was lots of soldiers and lots of feces lots of lots of bathroom activity and they couldn't get they, they, they needed to clean this up and so the, what they would do is they would make these houses that would that would hold about three or four soldiers and they would create an aqueduct under it that was continuously running water and so the soldiers there's a reason why i 'm telling you this there, the soldiers would use the bathroom into these holes that would fall into the water and the water would wash it away well since they didn't have any any toilet paper or anything to clean themselves one of the lowest positions in society many times slaves and criminals or just those the poorest of the poor in order to make a a few measly cents would come and they would take a sponge on the end of a stick and they would reach and they would clean the soldiers behind Well, this started to spread a lot of disease. And so in order to prevent the spread of disease, wine vinegar was an antiseptic. Vinegar. And so they would dip the sponge into the vinegar, and they would clean the man's behind, and then they would put the sponge back into the vinegar in order to kill any germs. This was not compassion. They took this sponge that had been used to clean the backside of soldiers in battle. And they dipped it in the antiseptic vinegar that had been used to clean the toilet paper sponge and they shoved it into the mouth of God. It's finished. Is that disgusting? That's one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard in my entire life. Jesus says I'm thirsty and they put human feces in his mouth and they laughed at him Jesus would have been naked on the cross they stripped him of his robes and, and they, uh, they cast lots to see who would get it Jesus hanging naked and bare you can't even tell who he was feces shoved into his mouth blood Piled at the foot of the cross, and all of this with his mom standing by, watching. Humiliation. Humiliation. The last on this point, and by far the worst, is the separation. The separation. You see, Jesus Christ. He could. He took the beating. He took the humiliation for you. Hebrews chapter 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. It was so shameful. All these disgusting things happening to him. Strangers, nasty strangers with rotten teeth spitting on him with their spit into his open wounds. This vile sponge full of bacteria and feces shoved into his mouth. And his mouth would have been beaten and bloody from soldiers smashing him in the mouth. And so it's going into his open wounds. But the worst of it all, you know and I know, the worst pain is that of separation. Have you ever been left by somebody that loved you? Have you ever lost someone that loves you? Have you ever lost a friend, lost a loved one? Have you ever had a wife, a husband, someone that you loved, a fiance, just walk out on you and leave? It's so painful. It's a pain that you can't put a salve on. It's a pain that you can't take a pill for. It's a pain that's deep down into your heart, and it'll never, ever seems like it'll go away. And the greater the relationship, the worse the pain. If you lose a friend, if you lose an acquaintance, it, it stinks. If you lose a close friend, it hurts. If you lose a child, oh, agony I can't even imagine I watch shows and cry like a big baby the relationship between the father and the son was eternal before the world began I was in the womb I was in the bosom of the father They were tied together with every ounce of soul, spirit, and everything that you could possibly imagine. They were tied together, inseparable. He was God. And in the final hour, in the final minutes, it says that he willingly gave up the ghost. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head in obedience, and he gave up the ghost. The ghost, the Holy Spirit, the tie with the Father, the eternal relationship was ripped apart and he was cast into hell. Hell on hell on hell because separation of the Father is hell. You see, everybody's like, you're going to die and go to hell and burn and they act like the fire is the worst thing. The separation from the Father is the fire. What is death except the absence of life? Jesus Christ went into death that cannot be explained. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you went out on me? The ghost is gone. The spirit is gone. I am all alone. There's nobody here to comfort me in my greatest time of need. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He died the death. You should have died. We've got to come back to the place. Don't you see? Don't you see? This is why Jesus Christ is set apart from every other figure in the history of the world. Everybody's trying to tell you how to do it. Everybody's trying to tell you, you need to do this, 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 and this. Jesus Christ says, you can't do it, and I'm going to. You're a sinner. You have sin on top of sin, and you have separated yourself from God. There's nothing that you can do to pay this debt. Where there is sin, there must be blood. And so Jesus says, I will come and I will will die the death you should have died. God is looking at you saying, you're going to die because of the sin. And because of the sin, and because you're going to die, I'm going to send my son to die in your place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, we've got to understand, Jesus didn't just die for sin. He didn't just die for sin in general. He took your particular sin. What are you dealing with? What are you struggling with? What is it that's got you beat down? Don't you understand that that sin has no claim on you? It has no power over you if you are a part of the family of God because Jesus Christ paid for that sin. Jesus Christ was a sinless human being. He took your sin and he put it on his back. He took your sin, he put it on his back. He took mine and he put it on his back. And he marched it up Calvary and God beat the hell out of Jesus literally. That's the only way that the hell can come out of you. Why Jesus? He was the only perfect Lamb of God. John the Baptist said, Behold, here comes Jesus, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. He was the perfect Lamb who was slain on your behalf. Really quickly, the second thing here is, there's another aspect, and I was talking to to some guys up here earlier. We can't stop there. We can't stop there because what happens is is that I say, Jesus Christ paid for your sins through this mutilation, humiliation, and separation. Now he's paid for your sin. Now that he's paid for your sin, you're even with the house. You're good. You're good. Your sin's paid for. Now go out there and, and, and be somebody. That's half gospel. That's half gospel. This is the most exciting part. This has been heavy. It's been it's been really heavy hasn't it this is the this is the good part right here he lived the life you should have lived let me tell you something right now in ephesians chapter 2 it says that that he didn't just bring us back kneel with the house. He didn't pay for your sin and say okay you're even now you're not in debt you're even now it says that he hasn't done that but he seated us in the heavenly places by the throne of God. He has actually taken your sin and he has dealt with your sin and he has become your righteousness. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 it says he who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God too many children of God are living under the oppression of sin death and Satan don't you know that God paid for that don't you know that Jesus was killed for that and so often we look at ourselves and we say Jesus died for me I, I can't I can't do anything My sin. I, oh man Jesus died for me Jesus Christ was perfectly obedient to the father the father he never sinned though he was tempted he never sinned he never entered into sin And so he lived that perfect life that you should have lived. He had perfect humility. Don't you know at the end it says he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. He looked at Pilate and he said, you think you take my life from me? You have no power over me except that is granted to you. I, I lay my life down, I take my life back up again. Don't you know is that when you enter into the family of Jesus Christ, when you accept the sacrifice of the one and only Son of God who hammered death, he hammered sin, he hammered Satan, don't you know when you become part of that family, you're heirs to the king, heirs to the kingdom, and heirs fellow heirs of Jesus Christ, fellow heirs of God. I'm telling you is that you have more power than you know. you are a saint. If you know Jesus Christ, your sins have been paid. It's time to stop dying, and it's time to start living. It's time to get up out of our self-pity. It's time to get up out of our, our just woe is me. It's time for us to march. We hear all the time, all the time, you know, Christ died for me. Now I'm just holding on till the end. One day I'll make it to heaven. Out there. Come to Jesus, he'll save you, and you'll get to go to heaven. My God in my Bible tells me the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. Don't you know that God has lifted you up into the heavenly places and he has given you power to overcome sin, to overcome death, to overcome Satan. God is looking for you to move. In Matthew it says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's time for us to move. It's time for us to move. And in perfect humility, he came in perfect obedience, and he came in perfect humility. You see, when he took that drink, he said, I thirst. I thirst. I'm so thirsty. It says he received that vinegar. He understood that it, He understood that it it had to be done. He had come to do the work of the Father. He had come to do the work of the Father. And you say, you look at me and you say, Brandon, that's that's too much. You can't preach that way. You can't tell people that they're saints. You got to tell them that they're sinners. You can't tell people that they're like Jesus. You can't tell people that they have power. You got to you got to make sure they know they're sinners, they're sinners, they're sinners. Yeah. You are sinners. That's why Jesus Christ went to the cross. So that you could become the righteousness of God. And what we do, and we'll talk about this in just a second as we take the Lord's Supper. What we do is, is that we give him our sin. We give him our sin and we get his righteousness. How many does that sound good? We get his righteousness. He took our sin. We get his righteousness. And we no longer need to feel guilty. We no longer need to feel guilty. You see, we beat ourselves up over our sin. Jesus went to the cross so that we could go to the Father. Jesus died so that we might live. And we're going to draw this to a close if you guys want to come on up. As I as I end, I know we've been talking about some weighty stuff. I just want to I just want to help you for a second. Have you been humiliated? I want you to think about yourself. Have you been humiliated? Have you been persecuted? Have you experienced separation? Do you know That you're not obedient? Do you know that you have sin? Do you know that you have pride? Well, I'm here to tell you that you don't have to beat yourself up any longer. That you do need to examine your heart. You do need to look inside. But not to find your sin and clean it all up because there's nothing that you can do to clean up your sin. The reason that Jesus Christ is the only way to experience salvation is He is the only payment that would satisfy the wrath of God. It is not your sin that you need to deal with. It is your relationship with Jesus Christ, and that deals with the sin. You cannot win it. You cannot win a victory. You cannot win a battle that is not yours. Jesus Christ went to the cross as he battled sin, and he says, it is finished. It's time for you to breathe. It's time for you to exhale. It's time for you to stand up, not because you're somebody, but because he was somebody. It's time for you to stop feeling so guilty, not because you're not guilty, but because he wasn't guilty. Jesus Christ is the righteousness. It's time for you to hold your head high. It's time for you to enter into the victory that was Jesus Christ. It's time for us all to stop hanging our heads and to start lifting our hands in worship of the one creator God who came down out of heaven to die for our sins. Don't you see what he's done for you? It was Jesus and Jesus alone that could go to that cross and pay for your sins. And he looks down and he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What else can I say? There's no need for you to live in that sin anymore. It's been beaten. lived and died for you if you would only come he would cast your sins as far as the east is to the west and they would be no more stop living in guilt I know you did it I know I'm not saying you're not guilty but I'm saying that the great judge has declared guilt on a man who was not guilty so that you could be declared righteousness and the great judge dropped the the gavel and it rang out and as Jesus Christ the great advocate as Job said and I looked and behold my redeemer lives we have an advocate with the father one who would stand and say I paid the price double jeopardy can't be done I paid the price let him go free I paid the price let him go and God's child broke into tears and said I'm not worthy and Jesus said no but you were worth it you're not worthy but you are worth it Old child come to the one the only one that can save the one Gave it all so that you might live. Please. We'll have a time of invitation and then we'll have the Lord's Supper and we'll be dismissed. So as we all stand to our feet, I want you to think about that. Have you ever trusted the only one that can save? Have you ever looked at the fact that he died to death you should have died and he lived the life that you should have lived so that at this very moment he sank into death so that you could be raised to life? Do you believe? Do you live? Are you going through the motions? God says live. Live. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 26, the Spirit God tells Ezekiel, he says, prophesy to these bones. Say to them, get up and live. 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 Life is right there for the taking. I'm not telling you to act better. I'm not telling you to act better. I'm telling you to come to life.
1: this last song it's about redemption Um, it is fitting for the sermon that's for sure because without the cross there is no redemption so as we sing redeemed let it sink into your heart let everything that he said let, let the pain that Jesus went through just sink in when it does it changes you and as we play it if you don't know God Or maybe you've known him, but today it just really hits you what he's done for you. Just come down and pray. And thank him for that. Because he's worthy. you doing this is a humbling experience. To take part in something that you're taking the flesh and the blood of all that beating and stuff that was done for us is humbling. The way we're going to do it is we've got the bread up here which symbolizes the body and we've got juice out in the back with a refreshment star that symbolizes the blood. So at this time you'll walk down the two aisles here, you'll get you a piece Walk up the outside out to the lobby, and that's where the Jews...